Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Thursday, November 10. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Bank Julius Baer. Welcome to our Beyond Markets podcast on the U.S. midterm elections. With me today is Mr. Curtis Chin. Hello, Curtis. Hello, Mark. Curtis has had a long and varied career in the private sector with public relations firm Burson Marsteller and in the public sector with the U.S. government in the Reagan, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, and Obama administrations. He was the United States ambassador to the Asian Development Bank. He is currently chair of the Asian operations of the Milken Institute, which is a California-based economic think tank. And Curtis is also an advisory board member of the Asian American Federation, a nonprofit organization that seeks to advance the civic voice of Asian Americans. Thank you very much for joining us today, Curtis. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about these midterm elections. And as of now, control of both the House of Representatives and the Senate remain up in the air. In the Senate elections, there's a few swing states where mail-in ballots have yet to be counted. And depending on how they go, it might come down to Georgia, might need to have a runoff vote that won't happen until December 6th. So we might not know until then. It would be nice for the Republicans to get the Senate because then they could appoint Supreme Court judges and cabinet members and those kind of things, but they're not really market-moving things. Having the House is enough to please the market. And news media models show the Republicans ending up with a narrow majority in the House. Now, it was always assumed they would take the House, so the fact that it's going to be a narrow majority, if indeed they do get it, that's kind of going to be a surprise. And political analysts say that's Trump's fault. He held rallies over the weekend that they say really hurt the Republicans. The Democrats tried to make it all about Trump. He did their work for them. Dr. Oz was three points ahead in Pennsylvania until the last polling on Friday. Then Trump holds this huge rally in Pittsburgh with Dr. Oz and another rally across the border in Ohio. And Oz loses the Senate seat for Pennsylvania by two points. That's a pretty big swing. So it tells you there's a fair chance Trump may not be the candidate in 2024. When your unfavorability rating gets above 50, it's difficult to get the swing vote. That's what Hillary's problem was in 2016, and that's what did her in. So, Curtis, the first question I would like to ask is if you could tell us in a nutshell, what are these elections about? Ultimately, every election in America comes down to people's daily life. Yeah. Are you better off? You know, Ronald Reagan, who... uh, tell you how old I am. I mean, it's like I was an intern on a Ronald Reagan, but Ronald Reagan, you know, family said, are you better off under that last president? And so what does that mean? It means, well, are prices out of control? Or is inflation taking so much money from your paycheck? Are gas prices so high? Are you worried about crime now? And if you think about on the social side, the Supreme Court decision about abortion, when you look about at these elections, like so many others in America, it comes down to domestic issues. For me, you know, and you living and working in Asia, I'd love to say, wow, they're really caring about issues like Southeast Asia trade, you know, geopolitics. But the reality of this election, like so many else, is about people's daily lives. And that's okay. Our politicians need to think about, are people better off than they were before without their policies? Let me ask, if the Republicans get the House but not the Senate, does it mean they can do lots of things or not? Well, it's interesting even how you phrase the question. Some people might say they're actually going to do a lot of things by making sure nothing happens. Is the business of America 
just letting business be business. And so we often think about the big corporations, but so much job creation is really done at that small and medium-sized business level. And so we're not talking about giant energy or soft drink companies. We're talking about that local restaurant, that local shop. They don't want tons more regulation. They don't want to pay more in taxes. They don't want all of these mandates. Hire this person and allow that person to have this much vacation or pay this person that much. So in some ways, some might say that by having a Congress unlikely to do a lot of new actions, that's better for yeah. America. But of course, there's the other <laughs> argument too. Well, no, yeah. we, uh, to help America move forward, we got to pay attention to labor, environment, other practice do. And so hopefully there's somewhere in between where our government leaders can come together and move this country forward. Well, it's interesting you say that because the studies clearly show that the market likes split governments best. It likes one party in the White House and either a divided Congress or another party running the whole thing. You made a great point that indeed markets generally like these split governments to the degree that maybe because it's not just that nothing happens, but there's some certainty that nothing happens. So business and others can plan for it. But one thing I always want to flag when we talk about that important data point is that America has evolved where there is indeed a whole world that is not Wall Street, that is not public equity markets. And so that's sometimes in campaigns you talk about, well, Wall Street might think that, but what about Main Street? And Main Street isn't necessarily just about Wall Street. So in some ways, that even if you know, some investors, because they're very much into public equity markets like these split governments, maybe that's where sometimes the regular citizen is like not so much into split governments because they want government to do something, even if it's not necessarily things that big business wants, little business, the big employers in America might want to be more engaged. That's a salient point. Now, if you had to guess today where we are, do you think the Republicans are going to win just the House or both the House and the Senate? Whoa, that's the question of the day. If force, well, for sure, I think they're going to get the House. But it might be, you know, very small margin versus what was predicted by some. In terms of the Senate, you know, my gut is that it might, in a way, kind of stay the same, meaning 50-50, which ultimately means the Democrats are in charge because they have the tie-breaking vote, in a way, by Vice President Harris. But again, I might be proven, I'm often proven wrong. So I could be wrong or right on that. But I think regardless, just by winning the House of Representatives, everyone seems to say that's what's going to happen, just by that, without even the Senate. We're going to have a divided split government. Yeah. And by the way, the studies also show that whether it's a split Congress or one party controls both houses, the market likes both of them, I should say, as long as that party is not the one that's in the White House. Yeah, so they like some certainty, right? And there won't be things jammed down everyone's uh, – just some certainty. That's correct. So the next question I want to ask you, Curtis, is if you had to guess, who will the Democrat candidate for the presidency be in 2024 and who will the Republican candidate be? Because I'm reading a lot of stuff this morning about how, as I mentioned earlier, Trump is coming out of this much weaker than 24 hours ago. Interesting question because one polling question that I've seen was, who do you want to be the candidate? Uh And maybe I'm like most of America. In some ways, I'd prefer a next generation of leaders. So Republicans and Democrats are saying, well, actually, maybe it shouldn't be either Biden or Trump, that we each want to move, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, to a next generation of leaders. So of course, yeah, we're looking at it right now. Biden is saying that by the start of the year, I'll make a decision and announcement. Uh, Former President Trump is saying, well, get ready because it's coming soon down in Florida, Mar-a-Lago. I'm going to make a big announcement. 
But they may each want to say, I will be the nominee. But then it's up to Democratic voters and Republican voters to decide, indeed, will they allow President Trump to run again as a Republican nominee? Will the Democrats allow President Biden to continue and run for re-election? And that is the unknown. One of the things that came out of this midterm election was that in many ways, the relative positionings of Trump and Biden have changed. Biden, in a way, is a little bit stronger because even though the Democrats ultimately, I think, are going to lose the House, they didn't lose the typical average number of seats that, you know, an incumbent president loses in terms of his party and Congress. And President Trump picked a bunch of people did not prove to be winners. And indeed, the Republican that seemed to do the best was indeed Governor DeSantis, the Florida governor, where not only did he win, Senator Marco Rubio won, and a whole range of Republicans won in a state that used to be seen as, oh, that's a swing state, that's a purple state. I think Governor DeSantis is showing that there's something that he's doing, that he's attracting voters, not just from the Republican Party, but clearly some from the Democratic Party. And from a demographic perspective in a changing, evolving America, he was able to attract more Hispanic votes than people thought he would be able to do so. I agree. And I think, in fact, it might just be my wishful thinking that Marcus would also like if there was some younger blood in the government, because the average age in America is 38 years old. But I believe President Biden's 79, and I don't know how old Donald Trump is. Do you? He's also Yeah, it's funny. Actually, I'm out of control on Twitter. Uh, I was just tweeting that this month, you know, happy birthday, President Biden. I think later in November, he turns 80. And I think former President Trump was something like three or four years younger. Okay. So what is that? uh, 76, 77? But clearly, I don't want to be ageist because you could be totally (laughs) qualified and you're 90 years old. But indeed, understanding an evolving America, you know, again, an assumption, but my assumption is that a 40-year-old or 50-year-old would be closer to the new technology and new kinds of jobs than my 98-year-old grandpa. That's why I always liked Andrew Yang, actually, but uh, he just, he couldn't make it. You never know. Andrew Yang is trying to create this third party, but we'll see. But indeed, I think that key point about a different kind of leader, I think Republicans, Democrats, and independents are hungering for, but who knows when that will happen. Let's bring it to Asia. And I want to ask, first of all, if this could influence American policy toward China in any way. Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. Do you think if Republicans do get the House, whoever the speaker is, they could also visit Taiwan? What would the policy be toward China? Well, first, you know, and I think about Asia, I would love it if as an Asian American, that yeah, America pay more attention to Asia. But I think the reality, you know, as we talked about earlier, this election is about domestic issues and no politician has really made the point that by engaging more with Asia, it's to the benefit of America, which I think is the case. But specific to China, indeed, Republicans and Democrats are all like, yeah, we got to stand up to China. You know, no one is pushing to be softer on China. So what will happen is that typically foreign policy is really set by the president, not by the U.S. Congress, which is the one that will approve treaties and others. But the reality, by their very travels, as Speaker Pelosi showed, you can have a big impact on the discussions of this whole crazy geopolitical world of ours. So before Nancy Pelosi traveled to Taiwan, people don't really remember, but we've had so many congressional delegations uh, to Taiwan. Um, But 
what was different was that it was indeed the speaker, and it was so publicized before it happened. You know, one would think that a possible speaker, McCarthy, would indeed go to Taiwan at some point. If he does go, maybe it'll be more likely that it'll be a actually a bipartisan delegation. It won't just be a bunch of Democrats or a bunch of Republicans. To make the point that the United States Republicans and Democrats stand for, you know, robust democracies, right, and all. So when you think about, you know, the impact of these midterm elections on foreign policy, in some ways it'll be limited. But what is happening overseas very clearly has implications for our businesses in America. And thus you saw under President Biden really efforts to help, for example, our semiconductor industry, that maybe people want to incentivize some industries versus others because it's in our interest from a defense and long-term strategy perspective. And that may well continue even more so under a a Republican-controlled House, if not a House and a Senate. Tell me, Curtis, how about Southeast Asia? I think we've got a big G20 meeting coming up here. And uh, could you talk with us about the U.S. policy and relationship with Southeast Asia? Could that improve under the kind of House of Representatives in Republican hands uh, or no? We really just met, but people who know me, I'm like Mr. Positive. Maybe it was my, like, growing up as a little, like, a young intern under Ronald Reagan. My hope is indeed that out of these midterm elections, that there will be more engagement with Asia and that we understand in America that Asia is more than China, Japan, and India. That a key part of this region is Southeast Asia, where you and I, you know, are in Singapore. Uh, There are 10 nations under a grouping called the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, ASEAN. They're having a big summit this weekend in Cambodia. You know, President Biden is expected. The president has underscored that the U.S.-Southeast Asian relationship is so important. But part of it is also about showing up and engaging and moving beyond just a defense so-called pivot to Asia. We need a business pivot to Asia. We need an environmental pivot to Asia. We need to be fully engaged with Asia, and that needs to include Southeast Asia. So ASEAN Summit this weekend. Next week, we're moving on to Indonesia, to the island of Bali for the G20 Summit. I'll be there, too, on the business side. It's called the B20. But so the G20 is a grouping of really the 20 largest economies of the world. It's really 19 economies in the EU kind of gotten there too. But indeed, President Biden will be there too. And I think it's important for people to understand that the U.S. is engaged in this region. This is not a region that's all about China, right? So the president will underscore that. And then a couple of days later, it's the APEC summit, the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, which will take place in Thailand. For me, it's a little bit of a unforced era that President Biden is not going there. The Vice President Kamala Harris will attend uh, that event. But just the optics, if indeed, you know, the President of Indonesia is there, you know, Xi Jinping of China might be there. Could not the U.S. President have stayed two or three days longer and attended? So, but whether or not he does, clearly the U.S. is engaged in this region, but I think the U.S. also needs to step up its game Yes, in this region. Well, I remember whenever it was 10 years ago or more that Obama had the big pivot to Asia that never really happened. I want to say that, you know, I wish more could have been done with it. So much of that so-called pivot to Asia was really in the defense sector. And things did happen. You know, Marines are rotating out of Darwin, Australia. Maybe there's more ship visits to Singapore. But Indeed, as I noted earlier, any pivot to Asia needs to be much more than about defense. It should be business. business. I agree. You'll even, you know, cultural diplomacy, all that needs to happen because the reality, you know, it's so much closer to here, but a China and India, a Japan, they're engaged in all levels throughout this region, partially because it's their next door neighbor. 
but the U.S. needs to do that too. Curtis, I've got one last question. Renewable energy, social issues in the business world, ESG, that's the acronym we use. Now, the Democrats are big proponents of that. Will that change with the Republicans in the House? You know, it may well. So ESG, environment, social, and governance issues, you know, it's so broad. Environment could be about emissions. Social could be, well, how many women are on your board of directors? You know, governance, you know, the rules of how you run a, a company. I think what will happen is that there may be different issues that a different congressman or senator focuses on versus broadly selling this acronym of ESG. But I think more importantly, and this is across the board in America, we don't just look to government to lead the way. So in the areas of environment, social, and governance, business can still lead the way whether or not Congress is mandating certain things. I don't see a Republican-controlled House really pushing for more ESG mandates. doesn't mean that individual Congress people might not say, well, we need to do more in this area because, you know, that's companies or in my constituent, they want people to do so. So I think maybe it goes back to, well, business will need to step forward should indeed the government not be so active in pushing things. But that, in a way, could be a good thing because businesses ultimately respond to what do their consumers want? What do their workers want? I agree with that. I think if you look at a lot of what's happening in renewable energy, for example, it's driven by economics. And the example I like to tell people is that Texas has passed legislation banning banks from making loans to renewable energy. That's the state government of Texas. But which state in America has more solar and wind power than any other is Texas, uh, because it just makes economic sense. So you, government can try to stop it, but it'll happen anyway. Well, you make a, a terrific point, because you know we began by talking about the midterms and so much focus on what happens with our U.S. Senate, our U.S. House of Representatives. But the midterms are also about elections at the state level. 36 governors, yeah. Governor of Texas just got reelected, and then also at that state legislature, legislature level. So indeed, as you notice, a Texas, a Michigan, California might be doing things. And so that's why these midterms elections are also important, because in many ways, America is 50 little, I don't say countries, but 50 little states, of course, where innovation can come from the state level based on the mix of demographics and businesses that exist at that state. That's a good thing. Yeah, I agree it is. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have time for today. On behalf of Julius Baer, I'd like to thank you, Curtis, for joining us today. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Goodbye. True Connections is a monthly podcast where we talk to entrepreneurs across the globe. We delve into the details of how they started their careers, their journeys in building businesses, and hear about some of the challenges that they faced along the way. Search for True Connections on your favourite podcast player. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.